Hello and welcome to Pearls and Wisdom. There'll be stories about people, life, experience, mental well-being and shooting the breeze with some very interesting people. There may be some swearing so be mindful if there are little ears around. If you want to get in contact send an email to pearlsandwisdom at aol.com or follow the Instagram page at pearlsandwisdom where we'll be posting some of the material we cover in the episodes. Thanks for listening. The Cask of Amontillado. So, The Cask of Amontillado is an Edgar Allan Poe story from the mid-1800s, and I first came across this story as a child. I used to read before going to sleep. Bad, bad time to be reading Poe. So I'll tell you the story. The thousand injuries of Fortunato I had borne as best I could, but when he ventured upon insult, I vowed revenge. You, who so well know the nature of my soul, will not suppose, however, that gave utterance to a threat. At length, I would be avenged. This was a point definitely settled. But the very definitiveness with which it was resolved precluded the idea of risk. I must not only punish, but punish with impunity. A wrong is unredressed when retribution overtakes its redresser. It is equally unredressed when the avenger fails to make himself felt as such to him who has done the wrong. It must be understood that neither by word nor deed had I given Fortunato cause to doubt my goodwill. I continued, as was my wont, to smile in his face, and he did not perceive that my smile now was at the thought of his immolation. He had a weak point, this Fortunato. Although in other regards he was a man to be respected and even feared, he prided himself on his connoisseurship in wine. Few Italians have the true virtuoso spirit. For the most part, their enthusiasm is adopted to suit the time and opportunity, to practice imposture upon the British and Austrian millionaires. In painting and gemery, Fortunato, like his countrymen, was a quack. But in the matter of old wines, he was sincere. In this respect, I did not differ from him materially. I was skilful in the Italian vintages myself, and bought largely whenever I could. It was about dusk, one evening during the supreme madness of the carnival season, that I encountered my friend. He accosted me with excessive warmth, for he had been drinking much. The man wore motley. He had on a tight-fitting party-striped dress, and his head was surmounted by the conical cap and bells. I was so pleased to see him that I thought I should never have done wringing his hand. I said to him, My dear Fortunato, you were luckily met. How remarkably well you are looking today. But I have received a pipe of what passes for a Montelado, and I have my doubts. How, said he, a Montelado, a pipe? Impossible. And in the middle of the carnival? I have my doubts, I replied, and I was silly enough to pay the full Amontillado price without consulting you in the matter. You were not to be found, and I was fearful of losing a bargain. Amontillado? I have my doubts. Amontillado? And I must satisfy them. 
Amontillado. As you are engaged, I am on my way to Lucrezi. If anyone has a critical turn, it is he. He will tell me. Lucrezi cannot tell Amontillado from Sherry. And yet some fools will have it that his taste is a match for your own. Come, let us go. Whither? To your vaults. My friend, no. I will not impose upon your good nature. I perceive you have an engagement. Lucrezi, I have no engagement. Come. My friend, no, it is not an engagement. The severe cold with which I perceive you are afflicted. The vaults are insufferably damp. They are encrusted with nitre. Let us go, nevertheless. The cold is merely nothing. Amontillado. You have been imposed upon, and as for Lucrezi, he cannot distinguish Sherry from Amontillado. Thus speaking, Fortunato possessed himself of my arm, and putting on a mask of black silk and drawing a roquelaire closely about my person, I suffered him to hurry me to my palazzo. There were no attendants at home. They had absconded to make merry in honour of the time. I had told them that I should not return until the morning, and had given them explicit orders not to stir from the house. These orders were sufficient, I well knew, to ensure their immediate disappearance one and all as soon as my back was turned. I took from their sconces two flambeaux, and giving one to Fortunato, bowed him through several suites of rooms to the archway that led into the vaults. I passed down a long and winding staircase, requesting him to be cautious as he followed. We came at length to the foot of the descent and stood together upon the damp ground of the catacombs of the Montressors. The gait of my friend was unsteady, and the bells upon his cap jingled as he strode. The pipe, he said. It is farther on, said I, but observe the white webwork which gleams from these cavern walls. He turned towards me and looked into my eyes with two filmy orbs that distilled the room of intoxication. Nitre? he asked at length. Nitre? I replied. How long have you had that cough? (coughs) (coughs) My poor friend found it impossible to reply for many minutes. It is nothing, he said at last. Come, I said with decision, we will go back. Your health is precious. You are rich, respected, admired, beloved. You are happy as once I was. You are a man to be missed. For me it is no matter. We will go back. You will be ill and I cannot be responsible. Besides, there is Lucrezi. Enough, he said. The cough's a mere nothing. It will not kill me. I shall not die of a cough. True, true. I replied, and indeed I had no intention of alarming you unnecessarily, but you should use all proper caution. A draught of this Madoc will defend us from the damps. Here I knocked off the neck of a bottle which I drew from a long row of its fellows that lay upon the mould. Drink, I said, presenting him the wine. He raised it to his lips with a leer. He paused and nodded to me familiarly while his bells jingled. I drink he said, to the buried that repose around us, and I to your long life. He again took my arm and we proceeded. These vaults, he said, are extensive. The Montressors, I replied, were a great and numerous family. I forgot your arms. A huge human foot door, in a field azure, the foot crushes a serpent rampant whose fangs are embedded in the heel. And the motto? Nemo me impune lecesser. Good, he said. The wine sparkled in his eyes and the bells jingled. My own fancy grew warm with the Medoc. We had passed through long walls of piled skeletons, 
with casks and puncheons intermingling, into the inmost recesses of the catacombs. I paused again, and this time I made bold to seize Fortunato by an arm above the elbow. The nitre, I said. See, it increases. It hangs like, like moss upon the walls. We are below the river's bed. The drops of moisture trickle among the bones. Come, we will go back ere it's too late. Your cough. It is nothing, he said. Let us go on. But first, another draught of the Medoc. I broke and reached him a flagon of de Grave. He emptied it at a breath. His eyes flashed with a fierce light. He laughed and threw the bottle upwards with a gesticulation I did not understand. I looked at him in surprise. He repeated the movement, a grotesque one. You do not comprehend, he said. Not I, I replied. Then you are not of the Brotherhood. How? You are not of the Masons. Yes, yes, I said, yes, yes. You? Impossible. A Mason? A Mason, I replied. A sign, he said, a sign. It is this, I answered, producing from beneath the folds of my rocalaire a trowel. You jest, he exclaimed, recoiling a few paces, but let us proceed to the Amontillado. Be it so, I said, replacing the tool beneath the cloak and again offering him my arm. He leaned upon it heavily. We continued our route in search of the Amontillado. We passed through a range of low arches, descended, passed on and descending again arrived at a deep crypt in which the foulness of the air caused our flambeau rather to glow than flame. At the most remote end of the crypt there appeared another less spacious. Its walls had been lined with human remains piled to the vault overhead in the fashion of the great catacombs of Paris. Three sides of this interior crypt were still ornamented in this manner. From the fourth side the bones had been thrown down and lay promiscuously upon the earth, forming at one point a mound of some size. Within the wall thus exposed by the displacing of the bones, we perceived a still interior crypt or recess, in depth about four feet, in width three, in height six or seven. It seemed to have been constructed for no special use within itself, but formed merely the interval between two of the colossal supports of the roof of the catacombs, and was backed by one of their circumscribing walls of solid granite. It was in vain that Fortunato, uplifting his dull torch, endeavoured to pry into the depth of the recess. Its termination the feeble light did not enable us to see. Proceed, I said. Herein is the Amontillado. As for Lucreci, he is an ignoramus, interrupted my friend, as he stepped unsteadily forward, while I followed immediately at his heels. In an instant he had reached the extremity of the niche, and finding his progress arrested by the rock, stood stupidly bewildered. A moment more and I had fettered him to the granite. In its surface were two iron staples distant from each other about two feet horizontally. From one of these depended a short chain, from the other a padlock. Throwing the links about his waist, it was but the work of a few seconds to secure it. He was much too astounded to resist. Withdrawing the key, I stepped back from the recess. Pass your hand, I said over the wall. You cannot help feeling the nitre. Indeed, it is very damp. Once more, let me implore you to return, no? Then I must positively leave you. But I must first render you all the little attentions in my power. The Amontillado, ejaculated my friend, not yet recovered from his astonishment. True, I replied, the Amontillado. 
As I said these words, I busied myself among the pile of bones of which I have before spoken. Throwing them aside, I soon uncovered a quantity of building stone and mortar. With these materials, and with the aid of my trowel, I began vigorously to wall up the entrance of the niche. I had scarcely laid the first tier of the masonry when I discovered that the intoxication of Fortunato had in a great measure worn off. The earliest indication I had of this was a low moaning cry from the depth of the recess. It was not the cry of a drunken man. There was then a long and obstinate silence. I laid the second tier, and the third, and the fourth. And then I heard the furious vibrations of the chain. The noise lasted for several minutes, during which, that I might hearken to it with the more satisfaction, I ceased my labours and sat down upon the bones. When at last the clanking subsided, I resumed the trowel and finished without interruption the fifth, the sixth and the seventh tier. The wall was now nearly upon level with my breast. I again paused and holding the flambeau over the mason work, threw a few feeble rays upon the figure within. A succession of loud and shrill screams bursting suddenly from the throat of the chained form seemed to thrust me violently back. For a brief moment I hesitated, I trembled. Unsheathing my rapier, I began to grope at it about the recess, but the thought of an instant reassured me. I placed my hand upon the solid fabric of the catacombs and felt satisfied. I reapproached the wall, I replied to the yells of him who clamoured, I re-echoed, I aided, I surpassed them in volume and in strength, I did this and the clamourer grew still. It was now midnight and my task was drawing to a close. I had completed the eighth, the ninth and the tenth tier. I had finished a portion of the last and the eleventh, there remained but a single stone to be fitted and plastered in. I struggled with its weight. I placed it partially in its destined position, but now there came from out the niche a low laugh that erected the hairs upon my head. It was succeeded by a sad voice, which I had difficulty in recognising as that of the noble Fortunato. The voice said, Ha ha ha, a very good joke, indeed an excellent jest. We will have many a rich laugh about it at the palazzo. Ha ha, over our wine. The Amontillado, I said. Yes, the Amontillado. But it is, is it not getting late? Will not they be awaiting us at the Palazzo, the Lady Fortunato, and the rest? Let us be gone. Yes, I said. Let us be gone. For the love of God, Montressor. Yes, I said. For the love of God. But to these words I hearkened in vain for a reply. I grew impatient. I called aloud, Fortunato! No answer. I called again, Fortunato! No answer still. I thrust a torch through the remaining aperture and let it fall within. There came forth in return only a jingling of bells. My heart grew sick. It was the dampness of the catacombs that made it so. I hastened to make an end of my labour. I forced the last stone into its position. I plastered it up. Against the new masonry I re-erected the old rampart of bones. For the half of a century no mortal has disturbed them. In pace requiscat. So this is a story about immurement, which was enclosing someone in a very small space, and it was considered one of the slowest forms of torture. It had been practiced widely throughout history, often until death, but not always. 
Sometimes it was only for one or two days. And sometimes even it wasn't a death penalty or a form of torture inflicted on someone, but a personal choice, usually by monks and nuns as a form of self-flagellation. The medieval church loved themselves a bit of cruel and unusual punishment, and individuals were locked away deep in a monastery or bricked up inside of rooms with a tiny opening for food and water for months or even years. Not wanting to be outdone by the church, royalty also wanted to get in on the crack, and a good example comes from the unfortunate end of James Hepburn. He was the third husband of Mary, Queen of Scots, who was accused of treason. After fleeing Scotland, he was apprehended in Denmark, where he was imprisoned underneath Dragsome Castle. He was put in a hole that was not large enough for him to stand in and subsisted off food scraps in total darkness. The authorities more or less forgot about him, and he remained in this hole for five years. When he was finally found, he acted like a feral animal. Hepburn did not use language, but instead only grunted and paced back and forth, and he died shortly after. Now, it didn't start in the Middle Ages. It was used as a punishment for the female temple priestesses of the goddess Vesta of the time. So, Vestal virgins. Keyword, virgin. If they were caught sliding up and down a Corinthian's column, she'd get the death penalty. Nobody was allowed to touch her, so she couldn't really be executed the traditional ways. Most often it was by permanent immurement. To be fair, Romans loved a poison chaser, so I don't know why they didn't go down that road. So she'd be stripped, beaten, dressed in the clothing of a corpse, taken through the forum, attended by her weeping kindred with all the ceremonies of a real funeral, to a rising ground just within the city walls. There was a small vault underground that had been previously prepared, containing a couch, a lamp, and a table with little food. The leader of their church, having lifted up his hands to heaven and uttered a secret prayer, opened it up and let forth the culprit, and placing her on the steps of the ladder which gave access to the underground cell, delivered her over to the executioner and his assistants, who conducted her down and drew up the ladder. Typically, she would be locked or bricked away with a small supply of food, watering and candles or lamps. When the supplies ran out, the festal virgin would die a slow and agonising death. Their primary duty was to keep the sacred fire that represented Vesta's protection of Rome burning, and if it was let go out, not having her protection was a massive deal. The sentence for that, though, a flogging or a beating. Writing doesn't seem like such an awful crime in comparison. But while the Order of the Vestals was in existence for over a thousand years, there were only ten recorded convictions for unchastity, and these trials all took place at times of political crisis for the Roman state as scapegoats in these times of great crisis. At least one of them escaped from a spurious accusation. Her name was Tuccia, and to prove she was innocent, she carried a sieve of water from the river Tiber to the temple. And fuck, I'd love to know how she did it. Maybe she was shacked up in a 3rd century BC David Blaine. But there wouldn't have been some right to chance it. In some cases, immurement was the cause of death for infants. Bringing up or enclosing a wall or entrance wasn't even necessary since little babies were unable to attempt escape. But why would anyone want to do this to a newborn? Some answers include poverty, fear and shame. Very poor families could not afford another mouth to feed, so infants were left wherever they would not be found. In ancient Rome, for example, it was not terribly frowned upon to kill babies as a form of birth control since they were not considered to be completely human. 
Other infants might be killed because their mothers were sex workers, were ashamed of them. Whatever the reason, babies were abandoned in catacombs, cloisters, cisterns and cells. They were left to die. Their only crime was existing. The burial of a great Mongol Khan included the ritual killings of more than a hundred members of his family, followed by his interment and the immurement of several favourite slaves. So, thanks for a job well done, lads. But he kindly remembered to request that the enslaved people be buried with several vessels of drink so at least they could get hammered. The Incas did it during the Festival of the Sun, where after performing certain ceremonial duties, a number of young maidens around 12 years of age, they'd lower the girls into a waterless cistern and sealed them inside it. But at least the ancient Egyptians compassionately murdered the pharaoh's slaves before firing them into the tomb with him. King Jeshet about 580 buried with him. So that's immurement. A horrible, horrible way to go. Again, religion features quite prominently, like it did in the trials by ordeal. I don't know what it was about religion back then. Fucking ignorance on wings. So I'll leave you with this. So, first century Spanish philosopher called Seneca he said, religion is regarded by the common people as true, by the wise as false, and by rulers as useful. Take care. And that's it. Because of my own anxiety issues, reading comments about how it is would send me into overdrive, so please, I would ask that you leave no reviews at all. But if you do want to get in contact, please send an email to pearlsandwisdom at aol.com or follow the Instagram page at pearlsandwisdom, where we'll be posting some of the material we cover in the episodes. Stay safe, stay happy, chat soon.